Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today we have an incredibly special guest, my good friend, Cheryl Brown, who runs Females and Finance, which is simply an amazing organization for women in the financial services arena. She's a speaker. She talks about social and digital marketing strategies. She's worked with thousands of insurance and investment professionals, and she is here to talk today about not only gender issues related to retirement, but also to career. Cheryl, welcome, welcome to the show. So excited and grateful, and it's good to hear your voice again. It's good to hear yours. Do you know, I think the first time I ever appeared on a podcast, it was your podcast. Really? So you, you created this whole monster situation. <laughs> Well, True story. It's, you know, it's a lot of fun, though, right? Because you get to know people. At least I know one of the things that when I listen to them, I hear all the little nuances of things that people sometimes forget to share in, in more formal conversations. So I love them. Well, I, I know a, a, a good uh, amount of your backstory and sort of how you got to be where you are um, in terms of your professional passions. But perhaps you can share that with our audience how you how you got to where females and finance became a, a driving passion for you just two short years ago? Yeah, so I am a professional speaker on social and digital marketing, as you mentioned, and so going to conferences, and I feel qualified when you start speaking at twenty five and forty conferences a year. This is you know that's that you start to notice there's some trends of things, and I just when I would look out in the audience, it would just be a lot of men, a lot of white men, particularly, I mean, specifically. And so I kept thinking, you know, I just, when someone came to me and asked about retirement issues or estate planning, you know, risk management, a lot of the people that I knew that did that well were women. And I just felt that there wasn't representation. So I spent from 2017 to 2018, I interviewed more than 350 women about three main things, which were recruitment. How did they get there? you know, training, what kind of ways that they learn, you know, whether it was proactive or reactive to opportunities there. And then, of course, advancement. Were they lateral from insurance to investments or were they going up the chain and within a particular firm? And what I found was interesting was, yes, we did have uh, within that gender, you know, although the, the being specific about the gender part of it, every one of them had a male ally. So our male ally network was became an important component of the work that we did. And then as I fostered this, all I had intention of doing was, okay, I have all these women, I have all these ideas, let's create a special interest group. And if I can get a couple hundred women together and we could start talking about how to make conferences better, how to make training better and more available to everyone, then I think that I would really felt as if I've done something valid, something good in financial services to make it better overall. And eight days later, I had 200 women. So today, we are a community of 2,806 people. We, uh, we're not an association. So we are, you know, I vet the people that come into our community because I'll be honest, I'm looking for a disproportionate amount of the good 
planners, advisors, insurance, bankers, accounting professionals that are out there, any women working in financial services. And then I often ask them, who was a male ally that you would like to have as part of this group, which Eric, you are a part of, and you were actually one of the inaugural um, male allies that were in the group. So I think that we've built something that's definitely special. And I think the reason why I say that it's special is because out of those 2,806 members, you're talking about 2,232 of them active in the last month. And so the math on that's about 80% engagement. So I, I know that we have a lot more work still to do, and we're working with organizations to help with not only just the, the gender-specific parts of things, but then taking it further into the diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. So you mentioned um, recruitment, training, yeah. and advancement. Um, you left out one of your four pillars. We've got a three-legged stool here now. Uh, <laughs> let's, talk about, let's talk about retention because um, exactly. it's one thing to get into uh, any uh, industry or business. It's a particularly hard to get into the financial service arena. Um, and there are a lot of white men in this, in this uh, industry and especially much older white men. So for, mm -hmm. for, for that, I mean, the, the average age of a financial advisor in this country, I believe, is 59 Mm -hmm. um, and it is very white, it is very male, and it is very old. And I am two of the three and approaching the third quickly. So I don't really want to <laughs> want to talk about that one, if that's okay. But let's talk about retention. How do you, how do you, yeah. and your community, certainly, I know it's not an association. You're, it's a community. It's a, an incredible network that can really help f uh, women specifically stay in the game, stay in the, that's in the exactly industry right. when things are tough. Yeah. That's exactly right. And they're there to actually foster support f between each other. I purposely left off retention because I, I do have a three-legged stool in the first part of what we spoke about because all three of them are directly related to that fourth piece, which is really uh, retention and attrition if you think about both of them, right? And how are we keeping them and what's that fall off after a while? And so when I did my research, part of what I found was interesting the women who had that, that grittiness, the stickiness to why they stayed, because let's be honest, whether you're male or female, nobody gets excited to hear that their kid went off to college possibly or decided to get into a career that was a lot of times based usually at the beginning on a commission position. Uh, that's really exciting. Like, yeah, I'm glad you sent me to school because now I'm going to go take this huge risk and do this. Uh, parents are like, uh, what? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> and so I think that you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to me that when you go into a field like financial services, whether you're fee only and you're charging for planning fees or whether you are doing, you know, assets under management or doing insurance that has a commissionable component to it, the, the pay diversity that happens within that too, that structuring. Um, one of the things that I found through the research that I did when I asked the women, like, why do you stay? Oftentimes it was the, uh, the ability to create an income that there's no other job that they could create an income like they've been able to do in financial services. And there was an overwhelming desire to want to actually better communities, to better people, to be a, a source, a beacon, if you will, even of being able to help people get into and create their financial desires and their outcomes that they want. I found also too that when I look at financial services today, based on the research that I did, and I did enough research that I actually had uh, Professor Monique Gregg down at 
North Texas University, she's a gender equality specialist, look through and sift through that there's definitely between the male ally part of what was interesting, they uh, connected to all of these women, no matter their background, their color, their discipline of interest, uh, that you know, they all had these same kind of philanthropic desires to be helpful. They all had these particular drive uh, to be, they were, most of them were very proactive or being reactive. But then we also realized that financial services today is really, it is definitely built, if you think of the onion, because it's the easiest analogy, that the center, the core of that onion is white men today and that's why you see a lot of them and it's it's been continually built that way and that's not bad in the sense that yes we they do a good job and you know I've always said you know just because I'm save the dolphins doesn't mean kill whales I want to see all of us have a a really good um, you know a, a good presence in financial services but the more you layer that onion and you add a gender difference or a skin color difference or a language difference or an educational difference, it becomes increasingly more difficult on the retention and attrition rate because things aren't really built for that, for those individuals. What I'm trying to do is go in and partner with companies, uh, with organizations and say, talk to me about basically your onion. How are you building this and how are you fostering, um, you know, making sure you have initiatives and you have reach into these groups because it is something that I hold myself accountable to as a leader of an organization of so many members. I'm making certain that I'm, am I reaching more people of color? Yes. Am I reaching women? Am I reaching people with different uh, language backgrounds, et cetera? And that's how we're fostering such a dynamic group and a network that you've been able to experience yourself, Eric. I, you know, you, you threw so many different things at us there, uh, Cheryl, and I want to unpack them as best I can because there's a lot mm-hmm. there. You know, you mentioned that more than anecdotally, but actually scientifically in your, in, your, um, in your study, you determined that most of the women or a lot of the women who were in the industry were there at least in part because of a male ally that helped them break mm-hmm. into the business. So it, it seems to me that that entry point that entry point was a, it was sort of the pig in the python, Cheryl. It was, it, there was almost this roadblock to get in. You almost needed a male ally just to get into the industry. Is that changing a little bit now? Have we, have we hit a critical mass where that, some of that is over, I hope? Yeah, I believe that we're, we're on our way. I think we're at the very, the kindergarten, as we talk about school here, level of this. So we are recognizing now that I believe it kind of starts back even if you're looking from a corporation type of environment where applicants are coming in and we're starting to be stress tests on our unconscious bias. We just have unconscious bias. Every person does. We have these people that we tend to migrate toward because the commonalities are so great and they're, they're easy. So middle-aged white women, really easy for me because I am one. So I have to stress myself to make certain that I'm always cognizant of everybody else. I can't just see the tree. I have to see the forest. And so because of that, we're starting to realize, and especially since some of these reports come out, Eric, that say the bottom line, 
is positively affected by diversity. So we're reaching into un and underrepresented communities or the more the diversity of a board, for example, for an organization, the more profitable they are because they're getting ideas from places that they just wouldn't naturally be able to network or, or commune in. And so I think that in financial services today, there's definitely more of a focus on are we serving younger clientele? Are we serving diversified clientele? Are we doing more philanthropic type of work as well? Because I'd found that that was a really common thread within. And so as we do that, even conferences, I'm really proud of the conferences who step up and say, I would really like you to network with somebody who doesn't look like yourself. Be respectful of the women that are here. You know, and things that you think, we really shouldn't have to say these things. But because we've had so many years of it being sort of that bromancing type of environment, now we're realizing we have to be so much more inclusive. And I think it's really going to positively, not just affect us personally as people and being more inclusive, but it's profitable as well in growing our practices. And it, whichever way we have to attract people to, to the change, whether it's through the personal part of it or the profitable you know, business part of it, I'm happy to see that we are starting to affect some change within these organizations and conferences and events. You know, the last time I saw um, the demographics of our profession, I think the number was 88% male. Mm -hmm. 12% seems like a, a, it seems woeful, but I, I guess that's up from wherever it had been. So the, the pendulum is swinging, however, slowly. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and suggest that it, considering what this industry does and and the way it has changed over the last 30 years and it's hard to believe you're, you you called yourself middle-aged you're not middle-aged yet but but nonetheless in the last 30 years this business has gone from a eat what you kill commissionable sales job mm -hmm. quite frankly to a relational advisory um, trusted confidant advocate type of role and I actually think women naturally are better at the new roles than some of their male counterparts. And that's not to suggest that, that that's always the case. That's too broad a brush. But, you know, our firm, we have eight financial advisors and four are women, which makes our firm unique in this space. We also have four partners, four owners, two men and two women, which is unique in this space. Um, and it's a younger, more diverse group than most. And, you know, I unabashedly am proud of that, but it also didn't happen on purpose. You know, we didn't set out to do that. We found great people, and it happened naturally because there are great um, up-and-coming advisors of all of, of, of very diverse backgrounds, which is which is a good thing. So, let's talk about um, let's talk about how the industry's changed. I mean, are you seeing? Do you, do you, you know? You talked about how you first got into this business. When I first entered this arena in early in the early 1990s, um, it was seller starve. And today it's not like that. We actually are bringing advisors on who don't have to ever sell anything. They don't ever even have to develop or bring in new business to the firm. They just have to be great at what they do and take wonderful care of people. And it, so it's a different career now, even for new advisors, than it used to be. Are you seeing some of that in, in all the folks you work with and the conferences you attend? Absolutely. I think that today what we're, at least what we're experiencing, and I can only come from the females and finance perspective and the work that we're doing here, that with the women, um, 
as they're trying to grow through their practice, one of the things that overwhelmingly that the women have been sharing with us, and this is a broad from every discipline, so it's not even just financial advisor related financial service professional as a whole, that they are going in and into organizations and trying to change their inside workings too. So a lot of times what they're doing, Eric, you were talking about how many of the women are in your office and they're geared for this type of work. And they are, these women agree with you a hundred percent. And so they're coming in and when there's new positions to be filled, one of the things that the women are doing as an example is going in and saying, have you thought about trying to bring somebody in that doesn't look like any of us that are already here? Even she so they're not even saying like, whether it's male or female, but maybe it's somebody who comes from a different background or has a, a different ability to reach into people because uh, maybe English is their second language and they can go out and reach into other communities of people. I think that those growth patterns internally are happening, some of them intentionally, some of them not so intentionally, like your office was being built because you were finding great people. You know, one of the things that I sort of bullishly made a comment about at a conference not that long ago when we were still, you know, actually going to conferences and weren't in COVID America, was that I think that there is, if you look at the real estate market, for example, they're so geared for one for the growth of the, the, the people that are there. It's a lot of women who are meeting with people, dealing with women um, as buyers. And I think that if we could mimic some of the things that they do in the real estate profession over and into financial services and insurance, I think that we could potentially experience a real growth of, okay, we do need to work with more of the women as, as the buyer, the quote unquote buyer in the household, and we need to be more inclusive. I also know that some of the women have been the financial advisors and financial service professionals that are in the group have been advocating too and asking people just very, uh, you know, bluntly, when you're meeting with people, are you making certain that the women are part of those conversations? Because it's kind of cyclical, right? I mean, the households have to have representation, your financial service offering and profession has to have representation, the companies that you work with to supply whatever that might be, whether it's behind the planning, um, whether it's behind the insurance, they have to understand the dynamics of these as well. So we're just changing and changes, we all know not real comfortable for everyone. <laughs> so we are doing our best to try to, to make that. Some people are forcing it a little bit more uh, than others and others are trying to take it step by step. So the change is there, the change is good. And I do believe that from a retirement, from a financial planning, from an insurance perspective, it's just really good for house, all households today. So I, I wanna pivot now. We, we've talked a lot about the profession, the industry. Let's talk about the consumer now and let's talk about the public a little bit and how this relates. You know, uh, The premise of our show, A, is that retirement in its traditional sense isn't good for you and that really no one should do it. You should have some reason to get out of bed every morning. You should be advancing, not retreating. And there should be some uh, some exciting things to look forward to, you know, in Cheryl Brown 2.0, um, <laughs> although I'd say you're already on 2.0. It'll be 3.0 at some point. But women outlive men. Let's, let's, be, let's be frank. Women, the life expectancy for women is longer than it is for men, though I believe that gap is, is closing a little bit. Um, and, you know, a lot of men and women who marry one another, a lot of times the, the, the husband is older uh, than the wife, which means there's a period of widowhood that 
could be anywhere from 10 to 15 years just on average. Yeah. How prepared have the financial services professionals been? How prepared have financial advisors been to work with not only widows, but just uh, women in contemplation of potential widowhood? And is that improving? Do you think having women in the profession have improved that communication because most most men don't uh, widowers happen of course it happens but on average that's not the that's not the reality correct and i always tell everybody if they if they don't believe that women outlive men they really should go google alan king survived by his wife and watch that and have a good laugh but at the same time realize that every obituary tells you that they are survived by their wife and so i think that you know to your point Traditionally, we've done a really poor job of prepping and preparing women for that space. And I think some of our older advisors are feeling that because as those men do um, pre-decease their wives, those investable dollars, those insurance dollars, those asset center management are leaving the firms because they didn't have a relationship. And I know that we've heard so many stories about that. Where the women, I think, that came into the profession, many of them are very focused on women in transition themselves. So whether that's the gray divorces, whether that is preparing to be, um, you know, for their husbands to pass and have to take on the brunt of carrying on the finances and whatnot. You see a lot of women who specialize in that have a CDFA, a certified divorce financial analyst, because they've been very specific. A lot of their websites will even have a specific part about that transition piece. So I think that women also have uh, a different a different feeling about when they're working as a, a female financial advisor with this financial consumer and can actually feel what it is that they're going through. And I think that that is part of the holistic planning that you see your people talk about. That's what they're really speaking to that part. I do believe that anybody listening, just because you had an all-male profession today, so if you have an entire office and everybody in it is a man, I don't have a problem with that. I don't at all, and as somebody who's focused in the female s- sector of the work that's being done, what I really hope that they take away from this is the consumer marketplace is hungry for you to know that these women are left a lot of times unplanned for, uh, unattended to in the sense that even from a communication standpoint, including them is going to better your bottom line. And I think that if you can come in and really start formulating a plan that does show them to be alone later on and helping them prepare for that. When that time does unfortunately come, they're not nearly as uh, angst filled of what am I going to do? You know, it's, you know, am I going to be okay? That's our, anything that we do in financial services today, I realize, I hope everybody realizes it comes down to that one question. Am I going to be okay? No matter, and then fill in what the risk is. If we're answering the answers for those that risk and those the, to that question, we've done our jobs really, really well. So for the men who listen who have an all-male practice, ask yourselves, do the women who are our consumers, our clients, are we able to answer, am I going to be okay to all of these things? And if not, then there's your opportunity to go back out and be a really good, strong resource for them so that when the time happens that they're prepared and they stay with your office. So Cheryl, what's what's next? What's your <laughs> next 
I, I, you know, you've built this organization in two years from zero to 2,800 plus. What's next? Wow. That's, I, it's funny. I, every day I get up and I always think, can I reach five more women today? Or can I help five more women today? And I don't know why five became the number. It just did. And so for me, I think what's next is how do we as an organization at Females in Finance provide the right resources and make them available to our members at that, you know, at low cost, no cost, whatever I need to do to become sort of this resource hub for them to come to. They already feel supported in the conversational part of the work that we do. We have started to be very intentional about looking at practices and saying, what are your missing components and how can we provide the fill for that? And sometimes that fill, because our size of our organization is such that it's growing so fast that I am able to get low cost, no cost um, opportunities. So I think overall, at some point, I feel like females in finance is probably going to flip from just, just the networking component to being an entire resource center uh, for women and male allies that are in financial services today. So that's kind of like my five, 10-year plan. Uh, I'm about coming up on my three-year plan, and my three-year plan happened at about the one-year point because I grew so fast and <laughs> I was having to catch up. But it's... Uh, that is a, that's I a great that's problem it. to have. That's it a great is. Problem to, so so you're, you're looking to be this, this go-to, this clearinghouse almost for for lack of a more graceful term for folks in the industry what about consumers do you ever foresee yeah. females in finance being the go-to resource for not just women but consumers who are looking for a holistic approach for financial advising and do you see that as a as a potential outcropping of this of this kind of thing absolutely so we one of the things that we anticipated was that when I created a, a company like this from a search engine optimization part, and I know you're a marketer yourself, the SEO of having a name like female and finance is that we get a lot of searches that land up on our Facebook page and on our website for consumers who are looking for either financial advisors who are female and or financial resources, how to learn more about their money how to budget. So we are in the midst as we speak of building out a consumer focus and then matching those consumers with our members so that they don't just sit in a group or sit in a space and yes are they dependent on us to educate them absolutely but what we really want to do is get back into what i do best which is the connectedness getting this person connected to that person so that they can find a way to do business one of the things to answer by the way is is anybody who might be listening well how do you know if that person that consumer is right for that advisor's office one, I don't. I will. I have a pretty good idea, but I'm not going to be able to. So what we're trying to do is going back to the resource center and the tools that we're trying to provide is to provide every financial service professional the opportunity to have tools available to meet the need of that consumer, regardless of where you're at in your tenure in financial services, where you're at in your practice, your particular discipline of interest, so that we can get these consumers better more accurate financial service help than just, you know, listening to the TV or, you know, I was watching something the other day about 
some of these terrible TikTok financial advisors that are, you know, financial advice that's out there because they're not even financial advisors and trying to get them some solid help so we can actually get them into a point where they aren't falling into the GoFundMes on Facebook so that they're not falling into the, you know, um, being underrepresented and whether it's their assets under management or their investable assets or their discretionary income, I mean, you name it, trying to get them some better resources. So we definitely have that on the work in the horizon to work on. Cheryl, I, I, it's hard to believe, but we're nearing the end of our show. And I, I could talk to you all day. In fact, I think on occasion I have talked to you for full day. We have. Um, in, in, this particular, in this particular case, what I, what I need to do is I need to ask you and put you on the spot a little bit and ask you for an extra credit assignment for our listeners. The one takeaway from spending a half an hour with rock star Cheryl Brown that uh, that folks can walk away with and implement or do to improve their not only their own retirement trajectory, but if they're in the business or if they have some influence or if they're male allies, um, to improve the situation for everyone. What what would your one extra credit assignment be? I have found that the best advisors use technology in all they do, from the way they do their business, their professional and their personal lives. And so I think that everything that you're doing that's very paper intensive, um, all you post-it noters out there, I'm a recovering post-it noter, I think that if we can find you a tool where you can replace the time that you're spending on all of these laborious acts of writing things out, which I realize there's a neuroscience to quite a bit of like the note taking that goes on. But when your day to day type of life, whether that has to do with money or not, letting technology take up some of that space so that you clear time for other things that are important, such as whether it's meeting with the advisor, doing some retirement readiness, whether it is you know, learning how to, to budget, learning how to teach your kids about money because financial literacy in children, I think, is going to be one of the biggest important parts of what we do in growing responsible, find, you know, physically responsible adults now. So try to embrace technology in places where it'll free up some time so that you can make time for other things that are just as important. An excellent assignment, and uh, I hope folks will take that to heart. It is much better to be able to analyze and work with data than it is to enter it. So uh, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, Cheryl, thanks for being on Don't Retire, Graduate today. I am so thrilled to be a part of the Male Ally Network for Females in Finance, and especially proud that I was among the first, because it sounds like the, the herd has come, which is, which is a tribute to your incredible hard work. So thanks again, Cheryl, for being on the show. This has been fun. Thanks so much. Please subscribe to our podcast, post comments and reviews, and consider sending us a question, which we might answer in a future episode of Office Hours. For more, go to don'tretiregraduate.com. To learn more about BFG Financial Advisors, visit us on social media or at bfgfa.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media.
Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.